0: Welcome to Digital Detectives, reports from the battlefront. We'll discuss computer forensics, electronic discovery, and information security issues and what's really happening in the trenches. Not theory, but practical information that you can use in your law practice, right here on the Legal Talk Network.
1: Welcome to the 93rd edition of Digital Detectives. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises, a digital forensics, cybersecurity, and information technology firm in Fairfax, Virginia.
0: And I'm John Simic, vice president of Sensei Enterprises. Today on Digital Detectives, our topic is, is the California Consumer Privacy Act the start of a trend?
1: Before we get started, I'd like to thank our sponsors. We would like to thank our sponsor, SiteLock, the global leader in website security solutions. Learn more at sitelockcom forward slash legal forward slash digital detectives. We'd also like to thank our sponsor, PINow.com. If you need a private investigator you can trust, visit PINow.com to learn more.
0: Our guest today is Scott Pink. Scott is a special counsel in the data security and privacy practice at O'Melveny and Myers LLP. In this role, he advises media entertainment and consumer product companies on social media law, cybersecurity and privacy, marketing, and intellectual property. A former general counsel for a major media company, Scott has recently represented cutting edge life science, biotech, and other companies on privacy and security policies and issues. Thanks for being with us today, Scott.
2: Thanks for having me. Well, Scott,
1: there's been quite a lot of headlines about the California Consumer Privacy Act, but not many people actually know much about it. Can you tell us what the impetus for the act was?
2: Well, the impetus in one way was a response to a ballot initiative that was scheduled for the November ballot, which was designed to provide consumers more control over their privacy and there were some concerns about the scope and extent of that initiative for businesses. So the legislature decided to craft a version of that law that was, you know, in their view, more well thought out. So the impetus in general was responding to that ballot initiative. I say behind that, it was the concern that consumers needed more control over their data in light of, you know, recent data breaches and recent disclosures about how certain companies are using people's data without necessarily their knowing it.
0: Well, Scott, I think typical with legislation, we always get two sides and there's always an opponent. So can you tell our listeners who the opponents were and and what their arguments were to this act? Well,
2: you know, the interesting thing is, Normally, it would be industry would be sort of opposed to this kind of legislation, the tech industry being concerned about not so much, you know, providing consumers control of their privacy, but just having a regulation that was too onerous. I think industry is prepared for some form of legislation, but I think they are concerned about making sure whatever legislation is enacted is Legislation that can be you know readily complied with and won't be too difficult to administer you know from a practical point of view. so I think that's what a lot of what the industry was focused on, and I think will continue to be focused on. As the attorney general starts to implement regulations under this new law,
1: can you tell me when was the uh, bill signed into law, and when does the law become effective?
2: It was signed into law on June 28th of this year, and it doesn't take effect, however, for another say eighteen months or so, January 1, 2020. So companies will have you know some period of time to get organized and get their procedures and policies in place to become compliant by the effective date. But during that time, the Attorney General will likely be issuing some regulations to clarify certain aspects of the law so that companies have better guidance on what they need to do.
1: I got the feeling when I was reading the news reports that something like that would be very helpful. So I'm glad to hear that they are going to give some further guidance because I think when a new law like this is passed, if you don't shine a light on the practicalities of it, it just doesn't achieve the results that were intended.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that's you know, been a challenge for companies trying to comply with the general data protection regulation in Europe, and that it is a very extensive law, but it is much more difficult to take laws that were written sort of more generally and then apply them to, you know, the myriad of different situations in which data is handled. So I think you're going to see somewhat maybe the benefit of companies having gone through GDPR and understanding, you know, what can practically be accomplished under these situations.
0: Well, Scott, I know that we're probably going to get a detailed answer from you on this one, but what are the rights that were granted to the citizens of California under this law?
2: So there are a variety of rights that the California legislature recognize in part as extensions of the right of privacy that exists in the California Constitution. And let me start first with what this covers. It covers personal information, which people generally understand to mean things like your name, your address, your social security number, your driver's license. But what's interesting here is the California legislature has developed you know, what might be viewed as one of the more expansive definitions of what could be included within the definition of personal information. So, for example, they specifically include commercial information, including records of personal property biometric information you know the information like retinal scans and uh, fingerprint scans they include things like your internet or electronic network activity your browsing activity your search history those are things which never have been really specifically defined as personal information but will be under this new law in addition they include audio electronic visual thermal olfactory and similar information now that's a that's a mouthful but That's basically a lot of different things could be covered within that. And that's something I think the attorney general is going to have to clarify what exactly we're talking about in terms of thermal, for example, thermal information. That's probably something like, you know, the temperature which you keep your thermostats during the day, possibly. So it's a much more expansive definition of personal information, which I think will make it more challenging for companies to identify what exactly we have in each of these categories because, you know, traditionally people or companies were looking at things such as name, email address, you know, address, things that are more specifically identifiable. But now we have all these other categories that need to be taken into consideration. In addition to that, there are sort of three main rights, I suppose, that are officially or formally recognized under California law under this act. One is a right of transparency. That's essentially the right to find out what information is being collected and uh, to whom you're disclosing it to. So, a much more specific right to demand that information. Heretofore, California didn't really have that right to ask what information a company has on you. And now you have that right. There's a right of deletion. Now, that's a right that the Europeans have recognized for some time now under this concept called right to be forgotten. And it's not a concept that really exists under U.S. law. And under U.S. law, you can more or less keep data as long as you, you really want. But this law would require a company to delete information upon request of a consumer. And this is probably one of the more challenging aspects of the law is how do you locate, identify, and delete information? The good news, I think, if there is good news here, is that the, the legislature in this particular right has recognized a number of exceptions, and a number of uh, bases on which you can continue to con- retain information to try to ease the burden on companies and to prevent this kind of right making it very difficult to do business. So it's an important right. It's a right that companies will now need to be in a position to respond to, but it is somewhat softened by some of the exceptions in the law. The third right, and this is one that I think was important to consumers and certainly to public interest groups, is the right to opt out of sales of personal information. There was some concern that companies were collecting and then reselling personal information without the consumer really having the ability to either know about it or control that process. So now there is a right to opt out of those sales. But this doesn't necessarily cover all types of use of personal information. So you need to really understand if you're a company, whether or not what you're doing is a sale of personal information. But there's now a new requirement to give consumers the right to opt out of it, and you have to act upon that request. So, those are the main rights that have been uh, enacted the The law also recognizes that in certain circumstances, consumers can bring a lawsuit if companies fail to abide by the requirements of this new law so there's actually some potential teeth in it if a company fails to comply
0: it's interesting when you mentioned thermal scott and you you immediately went to the you know the thermostat and the, the nest kind of devices and when I heard that, my first thought was, geez, thermal imagery, you know, they're they're tracking my thermal signature through a house or something. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> we actually have seen the use of thermostats used as a weapon where they somebody has remotely kicked up the heat or, or whatever in order to cause the ex spouse to pay a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> if they knew they were out of town or something like that. So it, it's a crazy world we live in, isn't it?
2: Yeah. Well, I think thermal is not really defined. So, yes, it could include all those different things. It's up to the imagination, I suppose. Well,
0: I'm glad we're <laughs> going to get some potential clarification, though, it sounds like.
2: Well, let's hope so. Now, those, that's one that, when I read it, I thought that, you know, some more clarification on what's meant by, you know, for example, thermal. Are we talking about thermostats? Are we talking about, you know, heat imaging, and what exactly are we getting at there?
0: Right, right. Well, before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick commercial break. At least 80 of the 100 biggest law firms in the country have been hacked since 2011. Protect your firm and your clients from cyber attacks with SiteLock. Their industry-leading cloud-based suite of website security solutions includes website scanning, web application firewall, including distributed denial of service mitigation, and 24-7, 365 U.S.-based customer support. Give your firm and your clients peace of mind knowing their information is secure. Learn more at sitelock.com forward slash legal forward slash digital detectives. and have extensive experience in many types of investigation, including workers' compensation and surveillance. Find a pre screened private investigator today. Visit www.pinow.com.
1: Welcome back to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our topic is Is the California Consumer Privacy Act the start of a trend? Our guest today is Scott Pink, a special counsel in the data security and privacy practice at O'Melveny and Myers LLP. So, Scott, I think people are always concerned, especially little businesses, you know, does this horrible law that, you know, impacts so much and will make me do all these things, does it apply to me? And they don't know what kind of businesses. So what kind of businesses does this law apply to?
2: Well, it applies to all kinds of businesses in the sense that there's not really industry-specific businesses. But there are some thresholds that have been built into the law to sort of, I guess, in some sense, respond to the concerns of a small business and the ability to be able to uh, um, comply with this kind of a law. So there are some thresholds and more or less there's designed to imply this to larger institutions, I would say. So there are three thresholds uh, that have been baked into the law. And what you have to meet one of those three. So one is that your annual gross revenues... Well, first of all, back up a minute. You have to do business in the state of California. If you're not doing business in the state of California, this law doesn't apply to you. So assuming you're doing business in the state of California and you're collecting data from personal information from a California consumer, then the next test is, do I meet one of these three sort of size thresholds? And the one threshold is, do you have annual gross revenues in excess of $25 million? So that's you know a fairly sizable company. The second is, do you alone or in combination annually buy or receive, for business commercial purposes, the personal information of 50,000 or more consumers, households, or devices. And that's an interesting one. So if you collect, you can look, it's three different things. So it's 50,000 or more consumers. So if you have 50,000 or more California consumers, then uh, arguably, you know, this you know, it's with a patio. But it could also be 50,000 or more devices, or fifty thousand or more households. So I think there's gonna need to be some clarification there. I think the terminology or means it has to be one of those three, not necessarily the combination of all three of those. That is you have to have fifty thousand or more consumers or fifty thousand or more households or 50,000 or more devices, you wouldn't add up 20,000 consumers, 20,000 households, and you know 10,000 devices to get 50. So the threshold is 50, but it's three different kinds of things that could meet the threshold. I read the
1: law exactly as you stated it, that it had to be one of the three, and any one of the
2: three would trigger your obligations. Do you think that's correct? Yes, that's the way I read it. Okay. And what's interesting is, you know, the term device, So you could have 50,000 or more devices in, you know, that you're collecting personal information from, but, you know, 20,000 consumers potentially. So if you had two devices in a house, so that's, we'll have to see where that kind of plays out. But they've introduced these other concepts of households and devices that normally I've, you know, I've not seen in other privacy laws. Um, The third threshold is that you derive 50% or more of your annual revenues from selling consumer personal information. So that's a completely different threshold that doesn't really depend on the number of consumers or the amount of revenue. So you could be a smaller company, but if most of your revenue is from selling consumers personal information, then, you know, 50% or more, then you're subject to
0: this law. So uh, just a follow-up, Scott. In what you said, doing business in California. So then, am I to understand that I don't have to be based in California, but if I serve California residents, that whatever the threshold is at fifty thousand or whatever, then this law would apply to me then, potentially. Correct?
2: Yes, I think I think the question will be what is does business in California mean. But if you're selling, certainly if you're selling products to consumers in California. And um, you're likely to be considered, you know, doing business in California. And if you're, you know, if you're collecting, you know, fifty thousand or more, you know, information from fifty thousand or more consumers in California, you're likely doing business in California. But it is a separate analysis. And again, the law doesn't really define what does business means. It the term does business has different meanings depending on what law you're talking about. For example, in tax law, it has a certain meaning. Uh, corporate law has a certain meaning. So. Uh, it may be up to the AG to define what it means here. I would say it would it would require probably some activity directed towards California.
0: So, Scott, what obligations do businesses have now without this law?
2: I mean, they generally have an obligation, at least under California law, to have a privacy policy that describes their data collection processes, information practices. And uh, they have a requirement under some California you know, California law to have reasonable security for the personal information. And there are sort of a myriad of other laws that apply to personal privacy, laws relating to security breaches and laws relating to how to handle credit card information and laws relating to Social Security numbers. But it's kind of a hodgepodge. There's no law right now that has these specific rights baked into it. I think this law is a really, really
1: good step. But I know, and you you made reference to this, that a lot of the businesses think that these obligations are going to be very burdensome. So it helps that the law isn't going to come into effect uh, until 2020. And it certainly will help if the attorney produces... Some regulations and some guidance for people. Have you been hearing
2: people complaining about this? I you know, I think it's so far it's still a little bit of a ways away that most companies are are concerned about it. I wouldn't say complaining necessarily but are concerned about it and want to understand it what it means, but it's still a bit in the future. There are a lot of companies that at least larger ones that might be affected by this law that, are doing business in Europe or at least believe they have to comply with the European Data Protection Regulation or GDPR. And to the extent that they have done that work, they are probably a little less concerned about this because this does in some ways mirror a lot of what you have to do in a GDPR. So I I think for those companies, this is you know, just merely an extension of the work they've already done. But certainly there are going to be a lot of companies that haven't, you know, are complying with GDPR, may not even know what it means, that, you know, are more California- you know, focused, maybe just more U.S. focused, and we'll have to think about how am I going to comply with these very specific regulations. So, but since it's a year and a half away and there's no regulations there at this point, I think a lot of companies are still doing a little bit of a wait and see.
0: They're going to wait and see to implement like they waited and see the GDPR, Scott. You oh, exactly.
2: Exactly. <laughs> you know they will, John. Well, I think they'll wait and see if their AG issues any regulations or guidance or, you know, if there are further modifications. But there are, Yes, definitely a lot of companies sort of waited to the last minute to, and maybe are even waking up now to GDPR.
0: Well, Scott, do you, what, are your, what are your thoughts? Do you think other states are likely to adopt similar laws? You know, why, why or why not?
2: I think some states will. I think some states will see Will probably want to respond to California's lead. California often is the lead in these areas. But I don't think it'll be in rapid succession like the security breach disclosure laws. I think the timing will be, you know, maybe over the next year or year and a half, you maybe see a couple of states adopt something like this, and maybe not quite Abroad, But I could see it happening in the next couple of years. But I don't think you're going to see, you know, 49 states adopting this in the next year and a half. I think it's going to take some time.
1: Well, as a final question, you know, what I've heard a lot is that the fact that we have all these different data breach notification laws, you know, that's been very cumbersome because you have all these state laws you have to comply with. So I wondered when I was reading the original article about this, I said, Well, why isn't there a federal law covering these rights so that you only have to comply with one law and and not all fifty? Wouldn't that make more sense? What do you think, Scott?
2: Well, I think that, you know, there are federal laws that apply in certain sectors like the like HIPAA in the healthcare area and Graham Leach Bliley, which applies to financial institutions. And I think those have been Very helpful to companies operating in those industries because they have one standard they have to worry about more or less. I think it would make some sense if, if there's going to be legislation on this point to have sort of a consistent set of standards nationwide because it's going to be practically difficult, very difficult to, you know, honor this just for California but not for another state. I don't know it may be possible, but I don't know if companies are going to want to do that. They're going to want to make sure that they're, you know, they're applying the, the most practical solution, which is, you know the same one for everybody. So I think a federal law would certainly, to the extent there's legislation or regulation on it, I think a federal or nationwide approach would make some sense. But I know the FTC is taking a look at, in the fall, I believe, they're having hearings that will examine, among other things, you know, the impact of laws like this on you know, commerce in general and whether you know, these are good laws, whether the, you know, there should be a unified standard that applies across the, across the country. So I don't think I don't expect anything soon or in the next year, but I think you could possibly see you know some more activity by Congress, maybe in 2019, if they're going to consider it, that'd be the time before this law takes effect.
1: Well, activity by Congress. Um. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> And I'll leave it there. <laughs>
0: Sharon, you notice we don't have a federal data breach notification law.
1: <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, how many years have they proposed that? And they haven't been able to get that. But then, you know, and activity in general out of Congress is not something we've grown used to. So, But, I, you know, I really appreciate your thoughts today, Scott. Your expertise here has been very useful. And this is a, a law that it got a lot of headlines initially, but I think people aren't really looking at it a lot yet. As you say, it's somewhat in the future, but it is certainly something that every state is going to be considering and something that lawyers certainly need to have a a feel for what this law is and what else might be coming. So thank you so much for being our guest today.
0: My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, that does it for this edition of Digital Detectives. And remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us on Apple Podcasts.
1: And you can find out more about Sensei's digital forensics, technology, and cybersecurity services at SENSEIENT.com. We'll see you next time on Digital Detectives.
0: Thanks for listening to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Check out some of our other podcasts on LegalTalkNetwork.com and in iTunes.